Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Two groups on today's program. Coming up in the second half of the show, I'll be joined by Laurie Mitchell of Pathways Core Training. We start off with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. On the line with me is their CEO, Bob Gebbia. How are you doing today? I'm great, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I was handed this interview by a couple of different people. I don't normally do it in the phone, but it's a great organization, and you've got a lot of stuff coming up here in Dallas, so it's a perfect opportunity to talk, and uh, like I said, I, I do appreciate uh, uh, the time. Where are you calling from? Um, I'm actually based in New York, but we have a chapter uh, right there in Dallas as well. You have the North Texas chapter, and there's 75 chapters across the nation? Yeah, we uh, we cover the country. We have chapters uh, in every state, and in some states, multiples. As in Texas, we have multiple chapters. Um, but yeah, we are based in New York, but uh, we work in communities all over the country. Let's kind of just talk basics of this organization. What is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention? Well, we are a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to uh, prevent suicide, save lives, uh, and really bring hope to those who've been affected by suicide. And, and we do our work in many ways, uh, similar to groups like the Heart Association or the Cancer Society. We fund research into suicide prevention. We offer educational programs throughout the community, and we could talk more about that. Uh, we also do advocacy work, uh, both uh, in Washington, D.C. and in state capitals, where there might be laws and legislation and policies that could help uh, in our mission to prevent suicide. And the last thing we do is to offer support to um, individuals and families that have lost a loved one to suicide and they struggle with that and help them uh, heal as they go through that terrible tragedy. And, and also to those who struggle with suicidal ideation and maybe have made a suicide attempt, and we try to offer support to them and their families as well. We were kind of joking off air before we started that it might be hard to figure out what to talk about regarding this group simply because you guys are doing so much. This organization has a ton of different programs and works in a lot of different ways to help learn more about suicide, to help with suicide prevention, to help those affected by it. Uh, screening programs. You guys are all over the place. Before we kind of dive into that, I am interested in how you found this group. How long have you been with AFSP? Well, I've been with the organization uh, going almost 20 years now, and uh, we were a very small uh, group at the time, just funding some medical research at the time. It was more of a research foundation. I like to think of us as a, you know, a group that was investing in suicide prevention research. Today, we are a full-service, if you will, suicide prevention organization operating all over the country, still with the largest private supporter and funder of suicide research. 
But, you know, while you're learning more about it, and you do need the research, the science to know what to do and make sure it's effective, you also have to offer programs. And so we have branched out a lot more over those 20 years into into these kinds of programs. We also didn't have chapters 20 years ago, and today, as you, you already mentioned, we have chapters everywhere. So has your goal with this organization been to grow it in the way that you have, or has that just happened organically over the years? It's been both. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, a lot of things are driven by strategy and also timing. And I think this is an issue whose time had come. You know, we, we deal with all these various mental health and, and, and physical health problems, um, you know, public health problems all the time. And yet suicide has been kind of off the radar uh, traditionally. But that's changed dramatically. And, and we did some public opinion polling a few years ago. And what we found is that most people now think suicide is preventable. So attitudes have changed. People affected are speaking out about this in ways they never have before. Historically, when you lost somebody or you struggled, you kept that secret. Today, people are speaking out, and they want to see this prevented. They want to see change. And I think we were the organization that was right there to be able to offer things. And so I think it's a bit of strategy and planning and making good decisions on our part. But I also think that our culture is changing about this, and people are becoming more um, more like advocates for it. And I think that just worked well for us to be able to develop uh, what we do. What do you think the change in that understanding or view of suicide has been? Because I, I feel it too. What has that shift been, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's driven by the fact that people understand this as the suicide is the consequence or you know the worst possible outcome of illness. When you think it's the person's fault and you blame the individual who took their life and you hear all those terrible things that people say, you know, oh, they were selfish and they had so much to live for and all those things that are just awful. Um, now people say, well, you know what, my loved one, I lost my loved one because they had an illness. It was a brain illness and it affected their judgment and their thinking and they were in terrible psychic pain. And, and people are starting to understand it's not their fault when they lose a loved one or it's not your fault if you're struggling. It's, it's a medical condition um, that can be treated. And I think that's changing everything. And so when you get people into care and they get, get the services they need, um, they recover, they get better, they can have terrific lives, and they don't have to end uh, in suicide. So I think that's a big part of it. Our understanding, our education has changed about all this. And the research is pretty good. It shows that, you know, the vast majority of those who take their life have an underlying mental health condition. Depression, addiction is associated, anxiety. And so, you know, there are, those are treatable conditions. And it's true there are other things that factor in. It's complicated. There are also life situations, you know. A lot of people, you know, struggle with different things in life, but some people, when they all kind of converge and you have, you're depressed, you've lost your job, you've got financial problems, all these things pile on, it becomes almost too much. And so in, in some cases, people um, just want to get out of that pain. So I think as we learn more about it, it changes how we think about it and also how we act on it, too. You know, some of the research shows, too, that more and more People say, if I know somebody who's thinking of suicide, I'm going to intervene. And that wasn't the case uh, just a short time ago as well. So I think we're becoming more educated and smart about our mental health and about preventing suicide. 
This has been an organization that has been rooted in research and understanding this phenomenon from a scientific perspective since its beginning. But as you said, a lot has been learned. And uh, would you say that the organization has changed its view of suicide and how it deals with it? I don't think we have. I think we were very fortunate. We were formed by some family members who were, you know, early on, this is 20, oh, now almost 30 years ago, we were formed, uh, early on who lost a loved one and kind of understood this, understood that they needed to get involved and speak out about it. So they were already kind of predisposed to doing that. And they teamed up with researchers. And that's how we got formed. It was a group of researchers and family members who were personally affected working together to create the organization. So I think we always had that view, but, you know, we were a pretty small minority, and uh, that's changed. I mean, today, I know we're going to talk about our walks. I mean, we have, during the course of the year, um, over a quarter of a million people walking for suicide prevention, and that's only in the last 10 years. So you think about the fact that you know, 30 years ago, people wouldn't have come out and walked publicly about this, right? And then asked their friends to, you know, support them and sponsor them with contribution. And, you know, so all in all, you know, we have millions of people involved now. And uh, I, I think while we always felt that, how do you, how do you make that happen is a tough question. But it's happened in other, other illnesses too. I mean, uh, we're all too young. All of us as young remember when maybe cancer was not talked about you know, a hundred years ago. But uh, today it's pretty open. People talk about it. Look at look at the breast cancer movement and, and other forms of cancer. And we've made progress uh, in the treatment and, and prevention and so on of so many other medical conditions because people spoke out about it. And, and then the research followed and then the prevention came into play. So we're on that same trajectory and, and we believe that we can save many more lives. We lose a lot of people to suicide in our country. It's about 45,000 people a year are reported as uh, dying by suicide. Uh, in the state of Texas, it's about 3,400 a year. So, you know, we, we have a long way to go, but I think we're finally on the right, right path. Uh, I, I saw a stat on your website, which is AFSP.org, that we have one suicide every three hours in Texas. And uh, overall, I saw that it's the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds in America. I really underestimated how big the numbers are when you talk about suicide uh, across the nation and, of course, just in the state. Yeah, and I think that's been another kind of secret, how many people are affected every year. Um, you know, we did, again, some public opinion polling that shows about half of the population uh, of the United States has in some way been affected by suicide. They may have a friend, a family member who they lost. They may have a classmate, coworker, or they may know people who struggle with a you know, with suicide um, ideation or maybe made an attempt or, or just, you know, struggle with mental health problems. So, you know, it affects, affects most of us in some way. And so, you know, I, those numbers are not well known. Um, but again, the more we talk about the issue, and not just the extent of the problem, but also about prevention, warning signs, what to look for, what to do if uh, a friend is struggling or someone in your family is struggling. We just uh, launched a public service ad campaign uh, with the Ad Council and another uh, nonprofit group, the Jed Foundation, which is actually aimed at that same population you just referenced. It's about 16 to 24-year-olds, and it's encouraging them to, if they know a friend or a classmate or someone's in trouble, 
to talk with them about it, and it gives them the language and what to do and to try to get them help because often friends see it, um, but they don't know what to do. You know, they're afraid to get involved. So we're trying to encourage them to, to step in and empower them to step in and to help a friend. And it's an important message, you know, because um, the earlier you intervene, the more you can do to get people help, uh, the better the outcomes. I've noticed with a lot of the groups that I'll interview, the numbers will will seem really bad, and they will almost seem as though they're going up. Now, with with the stats that you have, they they are shocking, but I am kind of wondering, are these high numbers a result of people actually being more comfortable talking about it and reporting it more, or would you say that suicide is actually on the rise in this country? Well, that's a really good insight because uh, many uh, of the researchers and scientists we work with, uh, they think it's better reporting is driving it up. Uh, it is going up. It's not going up dramatically. It's gone up uh, about one to one and a half percent on average a year over the last 15 years. So it is going up. Um, but some of that, uh, the sense is, is that there's much better reporting of it. Uh, and that that bubbles up from coroner's offices, you know, in each state, uh, ultimately to the Centers for Disease Control that put out the statistics. Um, but, you know, even if the numbers aren't going up, you know, that, that's just a tremendous amount of loss, a tremendous amount of pain and suffering for families. And, it, you know, suicide takes a terrible toll on those who are left behind uh, when when someone dies by suicide. So, you know, one is too many. Um, and we're trying to work to bring that rate down. We actually have launched a project called uh, Project 2025, which is to try to reduce the suicide rate in the United States by 20% by the year 2025 and trying to look at what are the best strategies that we can get to scale the quickest all over the country um, to be able to make that kind of an impact. And it's, you know, it's a bold goal, uh, especially with the numbers inching up. But we think that we know enough and we know more about prevention than ever before, and it's time to get it implemented. And that's where a lot of the funding we get uh, goes to try to bring those programs into communities everywhere to bring down the suicide rate. You beat me to it. That was really one of the things that I wanted to touch on. Once again, on your website, AFSP.org, I saw that you were looking to reduce suicide rates by 20% by 2025. Is this going to happen by implementing the programs that you have now? Are you going to be leaning on advertisement? And you guys produce movies. You have toolkits for schools. What is probably the best way that you guys are going to be able to reach your goal of reducing suicides by 20%? Well, there are some. There, it's across the spectrum, but there's there's some areas we think can give us the fastest return in terms of saving lives, and that's people who present in healthcare settings. So there are three settings where we know we lose people. Um, some of the numbers are pretty shocking. So about 39% of those who die by suicide have been seen in an emergency department within the past year, sometimes for, you know, mental health problems, behavioral problems, uh, and maybe a suicide attempt, but often for other presenting uh, issues. So that's a place where we could do a better job maybe in identifying risk and also what to do with folks who, who are at risk the kinds of uh, evidence-based treatments that we need to have used, the kind of follow-up that's needed. So emergency departments uh, is one place, and we're actually working with the American uh, College of Emergency Physicians on trying to develop better strategies for use 
in emergency medicine, and they've been great partners to work on uh, that. Uh, also, we are working in the area of trying to educate those who own firearms about safe storage and ways to make sure that if someone is at risk in their home for suicide, to make sure they don't have access to a firearm because firearms are used in about half of the suicide deaths. So there's different strategies that are not well-known, not being well-used. Um, same is true in corrections. We still lose a lot of people who are in custody, and there's, there's clearly things that we can educate um, the corrections folks about, and they're interested in it. So we have really good partners to work with on these things, but healthcare settings is a place we can do a much better job in, in providing care, identifying first who's at risk, and then providing treatment and care uh, for suicidal patients. So those we think will have a quick return, but it's not just that. It's obviously we have to keep doing more broad education and working in schools and colleges and workplaces and, um, you know, all the different settings where we can do a better job of getting the information out to people about suicide prevention. Is this one of those topics that you really have to get at young, where you, if you really want to make an impact on a societal level, that really what you need to do is talk to the youth and, and help them to understand this differently and reframe it, as opposed to trying to get adults to understand this differently? Well, you know, we don't want to write off any group. We want to make sure we're educating everybody, and, and so adults down to, to um, young adults and teens. But I will say this. We do see... Um, more openness of talking and in talking about their emotional health in general among uh, younger generations than, than older generations. So it, there's less taboo about talking about some of these things, especially about, you know, um, depression and, and other things like that that earlier generations just didn't talk about. So while there's more discussion, we want to make sure that it's also um, informed discussion, right? We want to make sure that they have the right information. But I think you're right in that over time, um, that will really help in terms of prevention. Because if you educate people early on about something, whether it's not smoking or it's some other, you know, health issue, exercise, diet, all that, you know, they tend to take that through the lifespan. So we do think that um, changing attitudes uh, among younger folks will have a long-term impact. But we don't want to forget about others because Clearly, the people that we're losing now, the highest suicide rates are among people in the middle years. And so we want to make sure that we're using every vehicle, whether it's uh, the workplace, military, or veterans. I mean, that's another group that we focus on. All of those groups need the information and, and know what to do uh, to help um, you know, those who struggle that they know. Has your work with veterans stepped up over the years? We have been in wars for, what, almost 20 years now, and uh, there's been a huge effect on the military community. Has your group been working a lot harder and more closely with veterans over the years? Yes. Um, matter of fact, we uh, just earlier this year, a few months ago, signed a memorandum of understanding with the VA and with the Department of Defense. It's a three-way agreement. Uh, and what that's going to try to do is to link up our chapters um, where there are VA uh, facilities, as well as where there are bases, uh, Department of Defense active duty bases, to try to provide more information and to work together uh, on this problem because clearly um, so many veterans in the community don't go to the VA. 
that's not where they get their health care. So where are they? And, and, you know, we're more of a community-based organization. So how do we work with our friends at the VA uh, on suicide prevention, on getting people treatment, and as well with active duty? Because often a lot of people who are active duty don't, and their families don't live on base. They live in the community, too. So this is a first for us, uh, signing this agreement with them. It's not a funding arrangement. We're not looking for money. Um, what we really want to do is to provide our information and our programs to both uh, military families and veterans. Is this organization always looking at developing new programs, or are you guys kind of more in the business of really honing in the things that you're doing right now because you're doing so much? Well, I, that's a, another great insight. I think for the last 10 years, we've been spending more time on developing programs um, because they didn't exist. And now that we have so many good programs to offer, our push with our chapters and, and overall is to try to get utilization up and to reach more people with them. So, um, and to measure that, I think, you know, as all groups have to do, including nonprofits like ours, we need to measure what, what we're getting, what kind of results, what kind of return on the investment uh, to make sure we're using the money that's donated to us, you know, really, really in a smart way to get the suicide prevention outcome we want. So, so yeah, um, probably shifting a bit now because we have so many programs to building up the use. I wanted to ask real quick, I noticed that you have a background in sociology. This group is so heavily based around research, and I'm fascinated with organizations that really pay attention to the numbers and try and use science to help them conquer whatever issue that they're dealing with. Was the amount of research and science that goes into AFSP part of the reason why you wanted to work with this group? Were you drawn to that? Yeah, I, my background is in nonprofit management, and you know I've had a career working for large nonprofits, large charities. I came here when it was a startup, and was just so intrigued that this was a leading cause of death, and had so little organization and so little resources that uh, I was really intrigued and said, maybe I can do something here, maybe I can help them. And here I am, 20 years later, and you know we've grown tremendously. Uh, in that period, so it's been really exciting to be a part of that. But, you know, uh, I'm one person. We have incredible volunteers. We have incredible access to the best minds in suicide prevention. We have a scientific advisory that has the leading people in our field who give us their time for free. Um, They review our grant proposals for free and, and really recommend the best science. So, you know, between the people who are personally touched who are involved with us and our chapters and our national board and our scientific leaders and clinical experts, we have access to the best best folks. So it's been, for me, more a privilege to kind of be the, you know, the, maybe the team leader, but, but I don't do this alone. This is really about the organization and the people involved and they just give us such passion and expertise. So we're very fortunate to have that. Your group has an excellent way to get involved coming up on June 2nd here in Dallas. It's going to kick off at City Hall Plaza. It's called the Out of Darkness Walk. Tell me about this. So this is an event. We we only do this um, overnight walk, and it literally is an overnight walk. It starts at, uh, at sundown and ends at sunrise uh, the next morning. And so we only do it in, in two places generally a year. Uh, this year we are uh, doing it in Dallas on June 2nd and 3rd. And, it again, literally overnight, it'll start uh, – 
in around seven o'clock time, um, and uh, and the next morning it's sun up, and we will walk throughout the entire city. Uh, it's going to be about sixteen to seventeen mile walk, and it's to raise awareness and funds for suicide prevention. You know, people who are willing to stay up all night and walk for this cause and wear their T-shirts and get in, you know, and, and talk to people on the street and throughout the community, you know, they're, they're the ones changing everything. So we're excited about bringing this back to Dallas. It's been about three years since we were there last uh, with this event. So, um, but again, we'd love people to find out more, uh, to register, if they want to walk, we need volunteers. We have volunteer crew that help with the event. And then people just want to come out and, and cheer the walkers on and support them. So um, you can find out more about how to register or more about the event at theovernight.org, theovernight, all one word, .org. And, again, we're excited to be doing this in Dallas. Last time we did it there was the first time, and I can't tell you the community was so supportive. It was really you know, heartwarming for the walkers to, to be cheered by people in the community as they walk through neighborhoods and downtown and all throughout the city, and it was just a wonderful event. Um, and it does raise a lot of money for us, uh, which we'll then invest in our research and programs. If you want to get involved, there is also a phone number, 888-THE-OVERNIGHT. All right, so the website for that, once again, theovernight.org. The Out of Darkness walk happening June 2nd here in Dallas is going to kick off around sundown at City Hall Plaza. Sir, it's been great talking to you, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken out of your day to uh, talk about this organization and this great event that we have coming up here on June 2nd. Uh, I I really appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure, and uh, thank you and your listeners for supporting suicide prevention. Bob Gebbia is the CEO of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Their website, AFSP.org. Sir, thank you again, and good luck with the walk. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.